Hello, you're listening to Carry On, and um, I'm Carrie Lloyd, and I have just thoroughly enjoyed doing these podcasts so far. I know I've involved quite a few friends. Quite a lot of you said, we love just hearing you on your own. And I'm like, well, that's nice, but it's quite lonely here all on my own. Just <laughs> me and currently the waves of Carmel coastline are crashing up against the cliffs below me. So if you can hear this sort of thunderous sound in the background, it's because I am currently sitting in um, one of my friend's homes in Carmel. And um, I'm just, oh, the rhythm of living here over a couple of days really does change. So if you hear me speaking slower than ever before, it's because um, I'm just very rested right now. And um thoroughly enjoy my time spent resting amidst the crazy ways. I'm hoping you can hear it a little bit, but that it's not completely drowning out what I'm actually saying. So anyway, today I actually wanted to talk about um, codependency. And um, it's actually a subject that I've been talking about a little bit with um, my um, church and my um, my students right now at, at Bethel. Um, but I actually feel like it's something that isn't even necessarily a topic just for believers. I actually feel like it's a topic for the entire world to be very, very wary of. I think sometimes we think that codependency is just about how to navigate um, living with an addict or um, living with a, a, a um, someone that is suffering with some kind of substance abuse. But actually, codependency is very rife. It's getting more pro more problematic I think in this day and age uh, because we have a very large lack of awareness of it I think we look at codependency and think we're just needy people well actually no it can be people who are very independent and very self-sufficient as well that too can be um, part of a problem and I think if we're not careful uh, we are becoming more and more independent in spirit and uh, becoming less and less reliable on each other um, which denotes and avoids the whole reason why we do relationship with people in the first place one of the definitions of codependency is this just to kind of clarify and kind of keep it very clear and what i mean by codependency codependency is a type of dysfunctional helping relationship where one person supports or enables another person's drug addiction alcoholism gambling addiction poor mental health and this is important, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Among the core characteristics of codependency, the most common theme is an excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. In the digital world, when we've got Instagram, Facebook, social media is rife. And if we're paying for supporters and using Google engines to try and increase the amount of followers just so then we feel more loved, my friends were in a deep deep issue um on top of that we are also starting to use um the uh, the the sentiment of getting your needs met as a way to start being even more codependent <laughs> towards other people now my journey has been that i um was an only child so i was naturally pretty independent anyway but to top that off i had a pretty idyllic childhood and then around about 18 years of age, and I've mentioned this in my book, so I want to just kind of mention this slightly, but not to make this the focal point, because I really care about the honor of my father, and I really care about uh, respecting him after he's gone. And I think if he'd been here today, we'd have equally had a very open conversation about this, because he was pretty open about it by the end of his life. 
But my father died when I was 23 of heart disease, and uh, he had a first um, heart surgery when I was 18 years of age. Now, before that point, there was no indication really that my father um, had any kind of drinking problem. Um, Certainly didn't in the time that he was working um, all of his life. So if there was anyone listening that was from an old church that my father was a pastor of, don't worry, he wasn't sipping a bit of vodka whilst everyone else was doing Holy Communion. He wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. Um, but he did have some heart surgery uh, when I was 18 years of age. And three out of the four men in that particular ward had a very strong reaction to the drugs and the morphine that were being placed on. It's a very intense surgery, but specifically the kind of level of heart surgery he had. And so um, their response of that of recovery was that uh, he had very bad insomnia and so therefore started to drink a little bit more alcohol than ever before and we never really were social drinkers our family we we didn't really have it around um but my dad would just sleep it off and uh would be sort of out for two or three days um so it wasn't a daily thing but it would be a, a consumed substance and we were very aware of it um when it was happening So what that started to do was that if I had a need towards my dad of like, hey, I'm concerned about how you're um, drinking, um, my dad at that time would be quite defensive about it and wouldn't really um, acknowledge the kind of impact that this was actually having on my mother and I. So um, I developed some elements of reaction. I started to get pretty obsessed with his own dysfunction and that's pretty much how codependency starts we focus on one person that's unhealthy on some level um and hear me out like some of this could have been a mental health issue not even an addiction issue i'm not trying to sound like i'm in denial i'm just really being very aware of the balance of what this really was um but i also uh didn't want to admit that there was a problem in the family. And I think my mother didn't want to admit that either. Um, And so my mother and I kind of enabled it at first and tried to just keep the peace. We were very big about peacekeeping. And so that's often what can happen with um, people that are addicts or substance abusers. Um, We live in a state of denial for a long time. We want to avoid the pain as much as the person with the addiction wants to avoid his pain. And so anyway, to cut a long story short, the reason why I'm bringing this up today is because codependency has this ability to make codependent characteristics almost be like Christian virtues. And if we're not careful, we're going to start masking codependent characteristics with Christian virtues, with the turning of the cheek, with putting others before ourselves, with allowing people to bulldoze us and control us because we think that's the kind and Christian thing to do. (laughs) But actually, some of the characteristics of being a codependent are this. And I basically wavered over all of these elements, if I'm really honest. So um, here's, here's a kind of list that I, I made out. And I would just say, say, if you want to do more research and reading into this, uh, codependency, um, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie is a classic book on codependency. And also a second book, um, which I really have valued very, very much in this journey, has been From Bondage to Bonding, a really brilliant book that looks on a, on a Christ-like level of how Christ did relationships and the difference between codependent relationships and Christian relationships um, and making sure that we're not blurring the lines between codependency and Christian values. So anyway, co- characteristics of a codependency are, of a codependent are being controlled by others, um, brackets victimized 
low sense of worth, which I would say is one of the major culprits of codependency in its first place, trying to control others, self-sufficiency and isolation, denial about the family problem, never complaining. Sometimes we just never complain. That's another form of denial. Um, and it's also a form of pride, actually, to make out that we can handle anything and we can handle any kind of stress. Um, approval junkies, thinking if they win the approval of others, um, they will be more loved or they will also draw people to Jesus. A very dangerous move. Um, appeasers end up feeling used, unappreciated, um, and they're driven to become all things for all people in order to maintain their image and receive continued approval. They appear giving, but in fact they're enslaved into their insatiable need to be admired. And um, lastly, I would say performance or pretense, uh, performing a way of living rather than authentically living their own personality is a major reason why uh, codependency is rife. We live a particular persona, um, and when people tell us they love us, we're like, yeah, well, that's because you love the persona I put out there, not the version that I am actually, not the messy, vulnerable, snotting, on the floor kind of person that I actually am at nighttime. You wouldn't care for that one. So I'm going to pretend for as long as I feasibly can, because actually that was a matter of survival for me. Um, and I would do very well. For me personally, I had a lot, a lot of friends. I was friends with everyone, and yet in some ways friends with no one, because actually I wasn't bringing the true version of myself. I was bringing a happy, pleasing, oh, I'll do anything you want me to kind of carry <laughs> that was very amicable. And I'd learned from a young age that popularity was a sort of highly esteemed thing. If I heard people go, oh, everyone loves Carrie, um, then of course I'd be terrible if anyone critiqued me or if anyone disliked me. Of course, it wasn't great for the days that I was actually bullied because I was a believer at school. So um, one of those, one of these things that I really want to focus on a little bit is just being very aware of um, people-pleasing, um, this inordinate fear of rejection, um, which rejection isn't just rejection, it's actually a form of death for those people. And just I then want to kind of cover how we get out of that and what we do about it. Um, my, my interesting thing, really, and one of the biggest triggers still in my life are, are manipulative people because I was very manipulative. Um, if I wasn't getting my way in a relationship, if I wasn't, if I was being rejected, or if I was being hurt by a boyfriend, um, I would do one of two things. I would either try and take the high road and be very um, proud of how I was handling it because I thought that was a really Christian way, but actually there was no kindness or love or substance of love underneath it. It was all manipulation. Um, sometimes we think that we're taking the high road. If someone's being angry with us or trying to control us, we draw away. We use boundaries as a reason to draw ourselves away. But actually, it's as manipulative, I think, sometimes, as the actual person who's trying to control us. It's, it's a dance of this kind of manipulation. One person's trying to control, so I'm going to put a wall up and keep myself distanced from you, and that's going to teach you a lesson. Neither is kind, neither is loving. Um, and yet we stay in this dance because it still keeps us alive and keeps us connected. So one of the things I want to kind of talk about is actually a lot of this is based on a lack of pain um, being addressed. Does that make, no, that doesn't make sense. What I'm, trying to say, what I'm trying to say is pain that isn't being addressed. 
So uh, it might be pain from our childhood. It might be just what we were modeled. We learned that having needs in, in a family that was unsafe um, meant that I can't have needs anymore. So I've become super independent and very self-sufficient. But then you can pendulum swing right to the other way and become incredibly needy and highly expectant of um, everyone becoming your mother and father, everyone becoming the rescuer, um, going straight into marriage straight after a divorce. Those kind of moments where we're really not looking or taking ownership of ourselves in these in these dichotomies. We're always looking to blame and be the victim, or we're looking to control and take our power back. So all of these kind of journeys, if we look at the example of what Christ made, it's it's so interesting to me that we use Christian virtues and yet actually when we're looking at how Christ did a relationship, if you look at the many stories in the Bible, not once did he allow someone to take over his life, not once did he allow someone else to control him, not once did he try and convince other people to follow him. It was just merely a suggestion, come follow me. You can choose whether you want to, but please do come follow me. There is this lovely exchange of a suggestion, but it's still up to you. I'm going to put this out there, but it's still up to you. Every time someone came forward to ask Christ to heal them and to pray for them, he would heal and weep sometimes, seeing the pain that they were in. He had no problem with facing pain, no problem ever about voiding pain because it was too painful. Pain to Christ, I think, was just pain. It really wasn't the same kind of capacity of the joy, the secret place, the power, the glory in which Christ functioned. So pain had a much more diminishing effect on him than I think we did. There's a reason why they document him spitting out gall on the cross, because actually he was a phenomenal man in managing pain. And there are too many times a day that I see Christians are in this dysfunctional place because they just can't address pain. They just can't grieve it. They're too terrified of what pain might bring up. But actually, if you've ever sat down, if you've ever gone through anything, and I and I really do believe that grief, um, the loss of someone very close, has more effect on a person than any other kind of pain. Um, and it changes you. I would say I've got some, you know, I've got some people in my life that like, oh, you, you know, you don't know life until you've had children. I'm like, I'd probably say the same thing about grief, actually. If you haven't gone through grief of um, a parent or a child, and that's probably the worst kind of parent. I was talking to a friend that had lost their, lost their son, and I'm like, I think there's just no pain like that to ever experience losing a child. And, um, but what that does and how we process that kind of pain is incredibly important because either it will manifest itself in a way that turns into dysfunction or it can turn into a substance addiction or it can turn into just codependent relationships for the rest of our life because we never really sat down with the pain and truly grieved it. We might have cried it out. We might have been really transparent to other people. But did we really sit in the pain? And I remember about six years after I lost my dad, I finally grieved it, finally cried it out. And I remember in the belly crying of doing it, I was like, wow, is this all that I was avoiding? It was just a really guttural cry. I think it was. And I was so scared of opening the gate to pain that it would never close. And yet it was the most important thing to do. Whenever I see someone, whenever I have anyone that I'm pastoring in my life come to me with pain, I'm like, get it out. Let it wallow just for a moment. Just get it out. Please don't avoid it. Make, make intentional time to process pain. Because if you don't, 
you will be in denial. And I know that's one thing that Christ did not enjoy watching people do is be in denial. And so there's a few techniques here that I think are really important for codependency. Number one is make sure you are not being in denial about the kind of pain you're actually facing. Um, I know that there are times of Peter when he's confronting Jesus or saying, no, this isn't your destiny. This isn't who you're going to be, where you're going to be. Christ instantly turns around and goes, get behind me, Satan. It's one of the strongest rebukes we see him do in dialogue. And that is about denial. So denial, I think, in Christ's eyes was satanic. And, um, and I think it's a very, very important part of our process and growth and maturity is to not be in denial about something we actually need to confront. Secondly, uh, to actually sit down with pain and actually grieve something out that's actually really, whether it's acknowledging that, yeah, my parents didn't give me what I was hoping or expecting. Yeah, I actually had a hard card dealt to me. And um, instead of hoping or wishing or trying to change how my parents are today, how about I just accept that that's what they knew, that's they did their best. And now I'm actually going to, because I'm grieving the pain, I can actually start to have compassion for them because I've had compassion for myself finally. Finally, I've given myself a space to grieve it out, cry it out, start to actually ask the Lord, okay, what do I do now? I can't keep on using this as a story for the rest of my life. I can't keep on using the fact that, you know, for me personally, losing my dad was a real reason of me wanting to be rescued by a boyfriend or I wanted to be... I wanted someone to confirm that it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. But for some reason in my head, I thought it was. And so um, for a long time, I was hoping that a man or a, um, a relationship would confirm a worth in me. And unfortunately, because I hadn't confirmed the worth in myself before they came in, I was therefore attracting men that actually weren't the healthiest. I wasn't attracting men that cared for my heart because... <laughs> You only attract what you believe you're worth. And so at that time, there was a lot of self-hatred towards myself. I didn't realize, as far as I was concerned, I was very confident. I was very independent. I was successful. (laughs) That's what it's about, right? (laughs) And I just ended up um, telling myself a fantastic pretense. I, I lived in a sense of performance because to be honest about actually, no matter how successful I might appear, deep down, I still don't believe that I'm enough and I still don't believe I'm lovable. That's kind of what I was feeling. And so I was always really frightened and scared of people getting that close to me because I was worried that if they saw me in my mess, they'd reject or they'd die. And so um, when I started to recognize that that's the stuff that I was doing, I started to take ownership of those thoughts and those feelings. And then I sat down with the Lord and go, so what do we do now? And some of the answers that I got from those conversations, see, most people post this pain by just having a good old vent and a cry. They think that's all that's done and they've helped their heart, but then they don't understand why the next week they can't still forgive the same person they're crying over. It's because you didn't process the pain well. You didn't actually get down to the bottom of hearing from the Lord. It's very important to hear the Lord's voice over your own voice because you'll always question your own. But when you hear the Lord on something, I never have to go over the same pain twice. Whenever I hear the Lord on a conviction that I need to change something, it's very, very unlikely that I'm going to go back and repeat the same thing. So admitting some of the needs that I actually had that shouldn't be fulfilled by men, by other people, actually, but from the Lord and from my own self-worth and my own self-love, a lot of my needs became much less um, codependent and actually became healthier needs where I could actually have um, 
levels of relationship with people where they got to choose to be in my life rather than I charmed them into my life or I rescued them into into my life. So um, I was no longer controlling people. If if someone had a bad behavior towards me, I no longer allowed them to bulldoze my, me into my life and go, okay, well, you can even change that behavior or actually you don't get to speak to me like that anymore um, because I actually really value how I take care of myself and my heart. So we're not going to repeat ourselves. We're not going to have this on and off relationship. We're not going to keep on going back or rebounding. We're not going to try and convince ourselves that this is healthy when it's not. So um, some of that thing to me was actually... Um, a big revelation, taking ownership, starting to grieve the pain in a place that actually goes, so how can I take my power back? How do I stop resenting these people and actually loving them with compassion, with honor, with an understanding? There's no one in my life and no one in my past that I hold any bitterness towards. I really do mean that. If there's any ex-boyfriend that we have, and you and I have not spoken for many years, don't worry about it, sunshine, we're great. Because I really do believe that unforgiveness is down to us holding too much power with their words over us and I took back a lot of my power when I realized that some of this bitterness and unforgiveness was down to allowing their voice to be so much louder than my own voice and the Lord's voice over in my life so um there's been too many times where Christ has said no one takes this from me no one takes this from me and there are many times where, there, I mean, if you've got a 100% guarantee rate that your prayers are going to work, you're going to have a pretty substantial pull. You're going to have quite a following. And so, yeah, if I've got a dying sister, I'm going to find where this Christ is and run and find so then he can save my sister. But then if I know that he's about to get into a boat because he's done for the day, and he then turns around and goes, they'll be here tomorrow. I'm, I'm pretty impressed by a guy that has the ability to say no, even when we're, we're pulling on him that much. So no one was able to control him. And he certainly didn't control anyone else. He wasn't trying to fix or change people for an approval or to, or to diminish a fear. I think a lot of times we're trying to control people because we think that will, make, that will, that will ease our fear. I hear some, some legalistic approaches sometimes, some real religious approaches are down to this fear of sin. Well, sin doesn't get to have that much authority or take that much credit. If someone sins around my and I'm using the word sin and I know it's been misused in so many horrible religious legalistic contexts but I mean if people make mistakes that hurt another person or themselves if people do that I'm not going to outcast them and judge them and start to push them out to a place that I can't model what it looks like to be kind and to be loving. That's one thing I've really learned in being a codependent. I had to have them all out all the way over there or they had to be the they had to be fixing or needing or or proving something to me sub- subconsciously. I actually have this ability now to allow people to come in, say what they need to say, and I will also have a voice back. I'll also say, "Yeah, I don't agree with that actually." Yeah, no. I appreciate what you're saying. I really do. I'm glad you shared what you shared. I'm glad that you felt that I was a safe place to say say that too. But here are some of my thoughts. Whereas before I was chameleon-like, I was trying to make everyone happy. So I would change my opinions depending on who I was talking to. (laughs) Which which is, after a bit, doesn't actually become that safe. Um, 
Anyway, I hope I'm not giving you too much information in such a short space of time. But I do really want to make sure that um, I make it very clear that when you start to go through this journey of coming out of codependency into a freeing, authentic, being able to handle pain as much as joy. And here's the deal. If you can't handle pain, you won't really ever appreciate joy. And if you're living a sort of numb life, this is why most addicts are doing addiction in the first place or taking things that are of of addictive substance is because they can't handle how to manage pain. Once you start to manage pain in a way, once you actually become pretty childlike in pain. So you know when you see a kid and they fall over and they instantly cry. Well, somewhere over the life, we actually started to learn, don't cry in front of these people because you'll look like a wimp. Don't cry in front of these people because people think you're, you know, a pansy. So we started to to suffocate our need to actually express our pain um, a long time ago. Um, But we never really actually were taught how to process pain very well. So once we start to learn pain, then we actually don't have this need to try and control or even get approval from other people because our heart started to trust us a lot better with our own true feelings. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we get to just vent with anyone and express with anyone. That's the beauty of the secret place. It's the beauty of prayer. It's the beauty of being on your own with the Lord is I can be anything with him and I can express it as much as I want. And I know that I'm in the safest place I'll ever find myself ever being in with the most comforting voice and the kindest voice, no matter how angry or mad I might be. Um, And I must make it very clear, I'm never angry with God anymore. I used to. Before I became an atheist, I was very angry with God because I was very religious and I was very legalistic. But um, once I started to have a real relationship with the divine, then I, um, I always knew that the divine was always on my side. I heard from the Lord very well because I allowed the space of anger to just actually have a space to express itself. I had a room now to um, feel pain and express pain, but never towards anyone. It would always be between me and the Lord and just navigating as a conversation, like, how is this happening? I'd be able to ask questions, but I would never project it towards the Lord because here's the deal. That's just another form of codependent blaming. And I see too many people blaming the Lord because they're actually in a form of dysfunctional codependency. And um, this is one of the reasons that I think we've got to be very careful in the church is people run to the church, they get saved in a moment, potentially sometimes of codependency or brokenness. And then we believe the Lord is going to fix and heal us. But sometimes we don't take on the ownership of our own strength to actually take on choices and decisions. And so instead, we then then blame the Lord and we blame God for not working our circumstances out better. But actually, I think when we start to manage, you know, God is always on our side. And sometimes there are things that just cannot be explained. And cannot, I do not understand why. To this day, I still don't understand why my father and my uncles and my male friends all died in the space of 18 months. I still never be able to understand it. But I certainly no longer blame God. And I think it's the most, it's the poorest theology I think I ever had was to blame God for suffering. Um, that's evil and evil alone (laughs) that creates suffering. So um, one of the things that I think we have to be careful as Christians is that we think that we're helping people out by trying to convince them and trying to manage them by uh, teaching them and disciplining them so they won't sin again. Well, I, I appreciate that. I see what you're doing there. But actually, that's a form of control. And Christ was very good at modeling what it looked like to live a very wholesome, noble life without um, judgment 
always with compassion and kindness would always lead people around into repentance. And that's, that's the beauty of Christianity. But codependency will never get you there. Codependency is not kindness. Codependency is a self-need, expecting someone else to fix the need. But when you are in full interdependency with people and full dependency on the Lord, then you start to find freedom. Here's the deal. When you come out of codependency, and trust me, it is the most freeing, exhilarating feeling when you start to do relationships with people that choose to be with you for no other reason other than they just love you and they love you in your mess and they love you in your greatness and when they celebrate you in your greatness you also know that they're celebrating you knowing all of that stuff about you as well there is nothing more amazing and more alive to me than that kind of relationship with my friends and family and loved ones and also I don't have the need to be married as much as I used to now that doesn't mean to say I wouldn't love to get married one day but I would say this I know that if I got married before pretty much if I got married before three years ago it would have been based on codependent needs I'm not suggesting that anyone that's got married in their 20s or their 30s got married for codependent needs but I know for me it's almost starting to make sense to me now why I didn't get married before this point because actually there was a heavy amount of codependency in my life that doesn't mean to say that I couldn't marry. I could have married about four times. And I probably would have worked it out. And there are a lot of people that did marry in codependency and are starting to work it out now and realizing that they can't function well in relationship or in their marriage through codependency. And people, many friends are working that stuff out now. So just to be really clear, marriage doesn't confirm that you're healthy. <laughs> it doesn't confirm that you're emotionally stable. It doesn't mean to say that you're lovable. Marriage is just a beautiful circumstance and a blessing that can happen. And at the same time, you can have marriages that really weren't meant to happen. So I just, for the codependents out there that, that are waiting for their guides and that it's all going to be fixed when you meet the guy, mm, let's talk about that a little bit longer. <laughs> um, one of the other things and one of the most important uh, stories I feel uh, looking at uh, Christ in particular is imagining him doing three years of ministry with 12 people that he chose and asked to follow him and knowing that one of those men were going to deeply betray him, deeply, deeply betray him to the point that it cost Christ his life. What's fascinating to me is that not only could he have prevented, he could have pre prevented Judas's betrayal because Christ knew it was coming. Christ could have prevented Judas' betrayal. And not only did he not do that, but he even told Judas to hurry up with the plan. That, to me, is the most extraordinary example of allowing someone to have free choice and free will. That, to me, is the most extraordinary example. Then not only did he allow Judas to go and make that decision, hurry up and do your plan, I'm going to dip this bread in the wine, pass it over to you, and off you go out into the night to go and sell me for some money but essentially in the next in the next journey the pain of watching Christ in the garden of Gethsemane that night and how he processed pain not only did he do it in front of his friends and sweating blood and tears almost contending is there no other way we can do this this whole decision of the crucifixion is there no other way we can do this but also we allowed you just to watch what happened so in short, Christ always let evil kill itself because it does and it will. And there's no other way around it. Evil never, there might appear to occasionally be fruitful things that come out of evil choices, but it's only short term 
and it really isn't a long-term fix and it slowly does kill itself time after time and so allowing people to make the choices that they make for as much as we sometimes want to interrupt watching a car crash for as much as we want to steal the alcohol out of the alcoholic's hand there is something about loving them in the moment confronting them when we have the choice and the freedom and the questions that are given to us then we get to then we get to charge them with something then we get to go hey i just don't think this is going to be the best fruitful decision for you but you still have a power and a choice to make the decision you want to. But I'm not going to let all of my peace and happiness be based on the choices and decisions you make. That, to me, is the most freeing choice that you can make in your life. And that, to me, is how you get out of codependency. You start taking ownership of the power and the choice and the expectations you put on other people. And you start to feel alive. You may not necessarily... Here's the deal. When you come out of codependency, sometimes it's more painful. Sometimes it's, it's more... Oh, what's the word? What's the word I'm trying to look for? It, sometimes it does. Grief is, is just... There's nothing... There's no other pain like it. And grieving the things that you had to grieve. <clears throat> the years of you trying to avoid that kind of pain when it comes up you're like why am I even trying to get out of codependency codependency was much more fun me relying on my own choices rather than the Lord's just feels safer and yeah it probably does but here's the deal you'll never feel alive you'll never feel alive in codependency and I'm so grateful I am so so grateful that I have not led a life now to this point of living in codependency with people nor am I in a codependent relationship in marriage where I would be dead to myself, to my pretending, to my performance, to my self-hatred, to my lack of, being take, of taking criticism, to my lack of being able to hear feedback, to my lack of accountability because I was too independent. I didn't want people telling me what to think or what to do. And actually, I started to come into a beautiful place where people actually get to do vulnerability with me people actually get to exchange instead of me having a monologue of transparency and just venting away at my grievance and my annoyances of the world I actually get to explore why do I respond like this in these moments why am I scared in these moments why has that irked me because all that person's trying to do is be kind or trying to challenge a noble thing why has that frustrated me that becomes a dialogue of true authenticity and we get to be changed in wholesome, healthy ways, not by codependent, people-pleasing ways. So I'm hoping this podcast has sort of not, not resolved everything for you. 30 minutes of me speaking is not going to do that. But I'm hoping that it opens, opens up some kind of subjects and conversations that you guys get to just go, hey, actually, yeah, as Christians, if we're not careful, we could become massive codependents masked with Christian virtues. So my heart is, is there anything today that you guys are doing that are actually feeding into codependent relationships and enabling people to be dysfunction and enabling yourself to be dysfunctional rather than actually having a space in your life where you allow people to make choices of their own accord? Do you allow people to choose you? Do you, do you let love in as much as let love out? And do you believe in the worth of who you are that actually will attract really great relationships really powerful people and just 
so much love that you finally know what humility really looks like. And it isn't a false humility, but it's a humility that has such a powerful strength that I allow my friends to do and choose whatever they want. And also I allow them to not control me. They don't get to tell me what to do, but they also get to guide me if I if we have that level of trust and understanding for each other that always looks to intentionally grow, not for my needs, but for their own needs. And so another chirpy, lighthearted subject for you, but we'll have some more um, to come. And uh, I'm going to get some other friends in to talk about um, other dynamics of relationships soon. Um, But I do also think it's really important not just to talk about dating and relationships. I I know those those were the first two books that I've written, but I'm starting to get into a space of much more interesting subjects like nobility and um, what's the right choice as opposed to the choice we want to do what's the healthy choice what's the choice that we're going to make that in a year's time we go actually really proud of how I responded to that and I'm really proud of how we all managed that conflict at that time of life so listen if you're in a if you're in an unhealthy relationship today whether it's with a relative a sibling um, someone that you're going out with someone you're married to um, or even it's a child of yours that's just going on an interesting journey just know this, the Lord is much bigger and much more powerful than you are. <laughs> and my mother, I would say this, and, I'll, and, I, and if anything, I'm going to attribute my, this podcast to my mother. My mother never tried to control me when I made the decision to become an atheist. <clears throat> she obviously would have been breaking, breaking her heart on some level because she knows the joy and, and, and the salvation of what her faith had brought her. But she loved me throughout the whole journey. And there are friends in my life today, ooh, I'm going to cry, that stuck in the interesting decisions I made. And there must have been times where they wanted to tell me what to do and wanted to control me or even wanted to manipulate me or make snide remarks or cutting remarks so that I might change. But it was their love and their kindness that actually modeled something new to me that didn't allow me to stay in an atheist lifestyle for a very long time. I actually came out of atheism because of the kindness that I witnessed through Christ and then those that knew how to um, embody Christ's kindness. And so for me, I, I'm very grateful to my mother and father for allowing me to make the choices that I made. And I'm really grateful to my mother for allowing my father to go on his own journey and never with condemnation or manipulation or control. And she was such a great example of how to manage codependency. And I missed it. I missed it completely because of my own pain. But now I'm so grateful that, and my mother is the closest woman in my life, Um, not because I can't grow up, because she literally has embodied peace and nobility in a way that I just, I long to, I'm so emotional, um, that I long to do in my life. So, yeah. I guess I'm grieving at the moment because I know there are people listening to this that are going through tough times and they're managing an addict or codependent on the other relationship. One thing I would say, don't get so high and mighty that you think it's all about your own voice and all about you being powerful. It's actually just about allowing someone to make their choices and still love them. And whether that has to be from a distance because it's just too sabotaging and too damaging that's fine. Maybe there needs to be that for a time, but never fall into bitterness and never fall into resentment because the one person that will be damaged by that is you alone. So all I ask is that if there is anyone holding bitterness towards anyone today, 
the only person that is serving is evil itself. And no matter what someone's done to you, I've been sexually harassed. I've been, I've been exposed to some really interesting things in my time. But anyone that's done anything like that to me, I just am not bitter towards them. I look at them and I go, gosh, I'm so sorry that you felt that you had to do that. And I'm so sorry that that's how you knew to react or respond in your life. But I forgive you, not because I condone your behavior, but because you were probably given some really bad modeling yourself and you didn't know any other way other than to be dysfunctional and to partner with something that somehow made you think that this was okay. But every time I I might fall onto a memory like that or someone might have hurt me, I truly don't hold any bitterness towards them. I go, Lord, I just pray for that person and I pray that they know my heart for them and that I love them, even if they did such a terrible thing to me. And I mean this as well for people who are involved in the Me Too movement and um, Time's Up movement. Even, Even those terrible crimes that guys have done in the industry, it doesn't mean that we start to be bitter or hateful towards them. It means we come in closer and go, why did you do it? That's probably a more important question than finding space to condemn them and throw them in jail. The most redeeming moments we can have is a gentle confrontation that goes, why are you doing these things? So we can get to the bottom of it and so we can actually start to have healthy relationships with people. Bitterness gets us nowhere. Forgiveness gets us somewhere. And loving ourselves brings us life again. Yes and amen to that. Have a great weekend. Thank you.